Hi, and welcome to Spooky Isles. My name's David Saunderson. Today we're talking to uh, British artist Graham Humphreys. We're going to be talking to him about his new book. And I think this is going to come back to front, but I'll put a picture up of it later. Nightmare on One Sheet, The Horror Art of Graham Humphreys. Now, anyone who has bought any kind of uh, horror film or sort of even fantasy art type uh, video uh, film of late uh, probably has Graham's artwork on there he seems to be everywhere and he's now just released his uh his it's apparently it's his third book but he, he, he apparently classes as his second book so we'll be asking about that we've we've spoken to graham on uh spooky Owls before he's one of our favorite people we love his artwork and that's why we're uh he's back on the spooky Owls to talk about this book and talk about uh the the horror art that he's been doing and uh it's going to be a great great conversation so as i say here's graham humphreys Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. How are you? Good, thank you. Congratulations on this wonderful book, as I put up again. You might want to put yours up. You've got your copy there. I have, yes. See if they're, they're both going to be back to front. They probably are. So what I'm going to now do is I'm going to do this, see if it works. Well, mine looks bigger because I'm smaller than you. Yours <laughs> <laughs> is a baby size. But yeah, so there's the, there it is there. What a wonderful thing. And as people will know, it's called Nightmare on One Street because you – did the original artwork. Now I've got to make sure I'm right here. It was for the British uh, poster or was it for the worldwide poster of Nightmare on Elm Street? It was It was um, just for the UK. Okay, but it was the best version and that's why we, uh, that's the only one we like. <laughs> so how did this come about? How did you, how did the new book come about? Because you've written Hung, Drawn and Executed, which came out a few years ago. Why, I mean, I know the answer to this. Anyone who sees this book will know the answer to it, but why do another one? Um. Well, that's a good question. Um, well, the first one came about um, really through uh, meeting the publisher quite a few years back. And um, he'd um, said at the time, um, you know, if you ever think about doing a book, uh, you know, perhaps we can talk about doing it um, together uh, with his company, Carrero Press. Um, that was quite some time ago, actually. Um, and uh, since then, uh, there was a, a uh, uh, the opportunity to produce a book uh, through a different um, means, and that came about through um, um, well, <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time as to do most, thing, most things in life. But um, I, I went onto a program called Four Rooms, uh, well, with the idea of um, uh, trying to get the money to um, publish the book myself and also uh, fund an exhibition as well of, of some of the key pieces of work, including Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, uh, the, the result of the, um, I mean, it was a kind of, it was a kind of success in one respect in as much that um, uh, the idea was to look for a buyer for the original artwork for Nightmare on Elm Street and also Evil Dead 2. It's the kind of two things I had, which I thought, you know, somebody might want to buy um uh rather than um uh, the, the other kind of things that people bring onto the program were likes of you know um memorabilia um from sort of you know sports uh personalities and um just odd things you know kind of strange sculptural things um which have some sort of historical uh resonance 
so I, I thought that um i think the, i was originally approached actually by somebody called uh vadim cosmos which is the most fantastic name who was working then at the last tuesday society and we knew each other through um various screenings and events and things and he, he kind of was aware that i had uh, a collection of quite odd items in the flat and um i think he was under the impression i had a large collection of unusual taxidermy well i had one or two items but nothing that amazing really though but anyway this is all by the by because um the net result was i went on the program and um a gentleman called alex proud uh agreed to buy the two pieces of artwork for a very nominal sum it was just you know some some sort of something that could pass hands um which which proven proved that they were then his i guess and then the idea was that he would um fund the exhibition and publish the book uh the the book went through his own publishing arm that was you know so that was quite easy for him to do anyway though but he decided he was going to do some sort of incredibly luxury item uh limited to about 500 copies in a sort of a clamshell box um and, and uh you know promise a team of people waiting to put the thing together for me well as, as it happened i put the whole thing together myself because um clearly it wasn't going to happen otherwise so and uh so anyway they kind of produced this book which you know which is fine i mean it looked great um uh but was was um put out at a price point of 150 quid which you know, you know that, that is a luxury item and you know to be quite honest most horror fans don't have that kind of money to spend on a book uh you know which is quite right as well i mean i i would have bought it that as well myself um so anyway it, it was kind of a, a little bit of um uh it wasn't a disaster it's just that kind of, you know, people couldn't afford to buy it um the exhibition did happen he happened to have a, a well, three different galleries so it was held in a gallery in um in camden town the uh what was a horse hospital there as well um so that went very well um i didn't really sell anything i sold one piece i think though so in all i didn't see a penny from the book at all uh so i don't know it was all a bit silly he, he sold on the pieces of artwork for um some very inflated price and um they're out there somewhere now uh but anyway um a, a, a little while later um i had spoken to harvey fenton at fab press about perhaps um publishing a book as well and uh he, he had explained that he was very busy and um i don't know i didn't want to bother him but um the opportunity arose uh for the other publisher Carrero press and um i was kind of ready to go with another book uh which would be something which I consider far more affordable and I'd have more control over it plus also he said that he would handle all the design aspect of it which um you know was, was uh, the time consuming um aspect on the previous book so uh that was hung drawn and executed and um you know I got some good contributions from um various people uh to just you know color up a bit though some sort of um connect it to the past somehow and all the uh greats of uh, horror um actors that i knew um as a kid growing up um so i had uh boris karloff's daughter uh contributed um victoria price vincent price's daughter and also dacre stoker the great grandnephew of bram stoker so uh, and then a few other people as well though um so that that you know that that was a much better uh project and I so I regard that as probably being the first book really um and uh, uh this um 
second or third book, if you like, arose because um, I had sufficient work to actually follow up with another book, as simple as that. And that mostly happened because um, of the pandemic. Uh, so shortly after, I mean, it's probably about a year after publishing um, the first book. In fact, actually, I had some uh, dates to promote um, Hung, Drawn and Executed, which then had to be cancelled because of the pandemic. But uh, I, I got very, very busy during the pandemic. I mean, you know, basically as somebody who works um, solo, uh, freelance and remotely to, to the clients, um, it didn't really affect what my, my work. I mean, other than the fact I, I having worked from a studio space in town uh, in London, um, it just meant working from home, which is where I've been pretty much ever since. So, uh, and it worked out fine. Um, and I, my work became a lot more focused, I think. And uh, so I think this second volume um, is superior to the first in, in quality of work. So literally it is um, uh, a collection of work produced during that, that three year period when, um, you know, from the beginning of the pandemic to the point where it seemed we, 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 we were not subject to all the lockdowns and, um, you know, vaccinated to the hilt, I guess though. Uh, so really this 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 is a pandemic volume, if you like, but, you know, it, it's all kind of new work since the previous book and um, with some you know, interesting contributions as well. Um, uh, so yeah, so it's been great. So it's literally just been out about two weeks now and we had the book launch, official book launch um, this last weekend. Which I was at, which was very, very nice, and uh, met lots of great people there. I'm just looking through, and that's that's clearly what's about it, because I mean, it does seem very fresh. And I'm looking at these this artwork, and a lot of it I've not seen before. So you know, it's a uh, you know, it's it's. I'm going to say when I use the word beautiful, I'm about to show you something that's probably not that you wouldn't necessarily consider beautiful. But there's like a picture of you know Jack Palance there as Dracula, but it's 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 all interesting work. You were saying before that uh, previously you had some contributions from uh, Sarah Carla, Victoria. Price and Dacre Stoker. I note that uh, you've got Rob Zombie as you are doing your forward. Can you tell us how that came about? Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, I was approached by Wax Group Records in the States to um, uh, do a soundtrack album cover. And uh, that initial project was um, for a film called um, uh, Spider Baby. And uh, it's a film I'd seen before, but they they said that it hadn't been released on uh, on a proper soundtrack yeah, film, yeah. previously uh, on vinyl, and um, so so this kind of well, it was quite a lavish job. I mean, there was a front cover, back cover, a gatefold, and then uh, uh, some other uh, work involved as well. So it was quite a lengthy job, but um, I, I really liked the film anyway. Though, so um, we, we produced that first uh, cover, and then um, at the point where that was delivered, completed, they said, well. We've got some more coming, uh, which we want to, to build into a series. And then he said that, you know, we've signed a deal with um, Rob Zombie, that basically this will be um, a series Rob Zombie presents. And um, Spider-Babe was actually the first of those releases, unbeknownst to me. Uh, but meanwhile, we we he we wanted an illustration, which would be just like a portrait of Rob Zombie, which would be uh, form part of a logo to, to just stamp an identity on each of the uh, releases. So um that, that you can see in the book uh and um so the next uh project after that was white zombie and then uh carnival of souls and um there are some others actually two of those two of the other ones are represented in the book uh, the idea being um well 
this was going to be released last year, but I held it back just so I could actually get those pieces in. Uh, unfortunately, it seems also that um, uh, two of the other um, uh, titles did get put back to the point where now the book is out. And yet, although they're, they're kind of you know, otherwise confidential, those two other um, releases are in the book as well. I know there are some more to come which aren't in the book, of course. Uh, so anyway, on the basis of that, um, uh, I was invited to do the um, soundtrack cover for uh, Rob Zombie's um, reboot of the Monsters, and um, I mean he, he he was I was told by the by Waxwork Records that he, it was very specific that um, I'd be the artist to to work on this series because he'd obviously seen work I think probably on Instagram, uh, Twitter perhaps though, and um, clearly he's a big you know Hammer fan as well, and he must have seen a lot of the Hammer. Um, pieces I've done as well but um, he said that uh, he just loved the textures and the colors I was using and um, and so so I, I'm now sort of the official artist I guess on that series Rob Zombie Presents and um, you know there's some more to come as well though uh, but yeah so it's very easy then having worked with him and actually had to communicate directly with him via email and also on a, um, a, a an anniversary release re-release of uh, uh house of a thousand corpses uh, on on uh, 4k um i just thought it would you know he'd be quite happy to write something for me and he he was and um he was quite enthusiastic about it and um, i gave him a chance to uh explain really what what the connection is between the work i do and what he does as well what his inspirations are and so yeah he pretty much gave us sort of a a shopping list of all the things that you know are mutual um to kind of monster kids around the world i guess though which uh you know includes things like um uh things like the monsters adam's family um the aurora hobby kits that came out um with the universal monsters uh back in the early 70s so these are all things that we had in common and um so i think that you know, he, he was quite happy to, to to write the piece for me I, I see some of your, your the, the visual style of both of you seem to be quite connected because I mean this new this new Munsters film that came out was very bright and colourful and I mean your work seems to use maybe colours you wouldn't necessarily you know expect in a horror film because they're really quite bright. Uh, do, do you think do you feel there's a connection between the work that you do and Rob Zombie does on film? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think so. I mean, uh, yeah, I remember watching House of Thousand Corpses the first time round and. Um, um, just you know, uh, delighting at the color palettes, and you know, I know that he, you know he, he's, uh, as I said, a, um, a very keen uh, fan of the Hammer canon, and um, you know, I, I kind of thought looking at those films that perhaps there was a bit of an influence there of some of the uh, you know, more lurid palettes of you know, things like yeah. uh, uh, Bride of Dracula in particular. I think of. Uh, which has yeah, particularly rich colors and um the gorgon um but yeah uh, actually with the monsters he he did say uh that uh he he was um uh, considering what he described as mario barva palettes yeah. for it yeah. um, with, with you know the real sort of um uh, unnatural hyper intensified almost fluorescent uh coloring um when, when i was working on the monsters soundtrack I have to add very quickly that uh, the film was in production at the time and actually I don't think it even been uh, entirely cast even though they were already shooting uh, in Hungary um, 
so at that point, for instance, Sylvester McCoy had been cast as Igor, um, and actually a lot of the, you know, uh, the set sets weren't actually built. Um, some were, but some weren't. And so I was working with um, a very limited amount of material, not being able to see any footage at all, just a few kind of studio um, uh, portrait shots. Uh, so, you know, it was very, very difficult to um, uh, come up with um, some substantial artwork on the basis of, you know, not really being able to know anything about the film, not mm. seeing any footage and really not having um, any idea of the entire cast. So, uh, you know, it, 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 that was not an easy job, but, um, you know, I think he, he was very happy with the results and, uh, you know, that there are aspects of it that I, I feel quite um, uh, happy about as well. Yeah, well, I noticed this, because there's so many new new films or say new releases of deep Blu-rays and all the different versions you've got in this book, so that you're, you're doing a lot more, I feel, older films now stuff that you know in the olden days when we were you know so when you're starting out you're actually doing unknown films like the evil dead and nightmare on elm street and stuff like that now you're doing some old favorites what have been some of the favorite films you've uh, you've got the chance to recreate a, as a as a dvd blu-ray cover well uh, two of those would be actually um those soundtrack albums that are in the uh, in in the in the book which are um Waxwork records um as yet unreleased, uh, although I think they're imminent. I, I suspect probably um, that they're probably looking at Halloween release for maybe the two of them together. I'm not too sure, but they're two Vincent Price films anyway. And um, uh, it's just it was just fantastic to work on those. As far as Blu-ray is concerned, I mean, you know, when you're looking at reissues of older older films, I mean, uh, the, the the I guess the issue for the distributor is that um, you know m most of the classic poster work and um, uh, uh, stills uh, have been seen you know over decades and um you know it's just familiar stuff so i think the idea is always to try and find um new angles on, on the films and uh uh the, the, the sort of fresh packaging which um perhaps um uh you know it might appeal to a, a slightly different audience uh, uh perhaps i don't know i mean i think the the, the remit is to, to mark a difference between their release and previous releases that's why there's an awful lot of um you know reworkings of um uh, on older films uh, i mean i still get to work on new projects but those tend to be um independent films uh where perhaps um you know the the the, the director producer is uh, looking to um sort of create some connection to uh the past perhaps maybe the films they loved watching when they were in their teens themselves or, or even kids and um and you know with an appreciation of um i guess the sort of a legacy of horror if you like so i mean you know there's obviously a clear interest in in films from the 1980s and um you know a lot of the uh pieces you'll see in the book are, are, are reworkings uh, um not not necessarily licensed stuff but um uh, certainly private commissions for you know re reworkings of um films like you know i think jaws is in there and um uh dawn of the dead um 
you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember. Uh, like the book, and you're like, that. you will. But that, that's something. So you, 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 I think it's right because I mean, a lot of these, some of these older films are probably maybe even public domain or whatever they are. They've been you've you've seen so many versions of them over the years. It's really great that they're putting them into a higher grade and maybe you know using your artwork and it, it sets it apart. And that's why you would want to buy it again because it's got your artwork on it. So I, I think that's, that's very interesting. How do, how do you feel your techniques and methods have evolved over the years? Because, I mean, the last book was kind of showing some of your older work. How, how do you feel it's changed looking at your, your, all your work within one book? Well, the I guess the style does kind of change slightly, perhaps. You know, I know, I know that uh, you know, people tell me they can recognise my work instantly. And that's probably from stuff they've seen from years ago. But uh, um, so clearly there's a, a, a thread and, and a sort of a, a look which uh, I guess people identify as mine. Uh, it, for me, though, that there is a change in the style and in the, the techniques. And it's I guess because it, it happens over a period of time, um, gradually, uh, it, perhaps it's not entirely obvious, but uh, perhaps if you look at the new book, compare it to stuff I was doing in the 1980s, I, I think you'll see a clear a clear difference. And also just the approach to um, the subject matter and um, uh, uh, compositions as well it is now quite different, I think, to where it was um, you know, 40 years ago. And uh, that's all part of, um, you know, as, as you get older, you kind of refine your technique and actually experiment a bit more i mean that's what you have to do you have to keep kind of uh, trying out different things and um uh, different approaches and uh you know it, it's quite easy to get stuck into um a, a sort of uh, um one single way of approaching everything and working i do, I do remember uh, uh i think it's two or three years ago um somebody was talking about my work and it must be on facebook or twitter or something like that and um I think they're uh, uh, talking about Blu-ray covers in particular, and um, I know somebody uh, kind of thought that uh, it's just something quite funny that uh, basically I, I just do the same thing uh, over and over again for the same purple-coloured film. I think they just thought everything I do is like coloured purple. Well, actually, I, 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 you know, I, I thought it was quite amusing. Thinking, well, actually, I do use purple quite a lot. It's true. Um, so I, th I consciously decided not to use purple for a good year. Or so. <laughs> it's a spooky colour. Is it's a spooky dark colour? Well, so. It is, and I, I just remember reading, um, you know, kind of uh, way back um, when I first started out, and I had time on my hands not to waste. I, I, I add, but to to fill. Uh, looking for inspiration and uh, going to libraries, reading lots of books, um, going to lots of exhibitions and just looking for a stimulus, really. So that that would then help me um, create sample pieces, uh, which I could put into the folio, hoping then to generate more work. And um, I did read uh, quite a lot uh, at the time about, um, uh, uh, I guess they were like study cases from... Um, Hundred years ago, maybe a bit less. Where uh, uh, obviously there was a whole thing that um, gentlemen of a certain standing and uh, class who have the money could go and um, uh, uh, go on trips abroad for a year or so and um, study, you know, uh, various tribes, um, Africa, um, 
Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, places like this, though, I guess it was kind of considered quite exotic, but also, um, you know, they, they kind of produce this body of work, which would, um, um, on the one hand, be a kind of a serious kind of examination of uh, a different culture. On the other hand, for them, it was like probably a bit of a sort of a boy's own adventure as well, though. But, um, but yeah, some of the um, uh, tales of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, uh, mythology and um, magic and uh, a sort of uh, you know, local legends, um, and especially uh, around Papua New Guinea, uh, I, I thought, um, which have some sort of, you know, um, I guess, not voodoo per se, because it's not really um, voodoo they practice there, but it's uh, certainly, you know, anything to do with tribal magic was quite interesting, I thought, for me at the time. And um, I was particularly interested to hear about, uh, read about colour as well. And, um, you know, it, it seemed there were two colours which uh, always came to the fore, which were purple and green, which probably much to do with um, vegetation and dyes that are available at the time. But, uh, uh, you know, it really kind of resonated. So I thought the purple and green thing, that's something I'd, I'd used in the first Evil Dead poster. And uh, uh, I, I knew also that they, they kind of... Uh, resonated within the sort of psychedelic scene in um, especially in america uh in the uh, uh, very early 1970s late 60s even which you know, sort of acid trip you know induced uh, uh uh colors um so i just thought that's quite an interesting thing so that's why i've always used a lot of purple and green in the work and it's really um a, a sort of a, an attempt to introduce something slightly magical and um 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 alarming <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's, it's interesting to say because spooky our uh, our colors are green so is it's greeny spooky type stuff so you know obviously there's something there and uh and it's uh that's a really great insight into you know why you're later work but this this is all very colorful now and i'm looking through the work and it's all you know you've obviously opened up your palette since then you talk you, you, there's a, a really good bit in it about how you how you create a piece of your artwork and i think it's called is it called wet brush or dry brush I get uh, dry brush is the technique but uh, there, there's you know the, the the wash which happens at the beginning of every job uh, and the reason i've always um uh put a wash down um in advance of the other paintwork is simply just i remember years and years ago uh at the very beginning of the career and uh I, I, the technique was very, very different then, and um, there was no wash, for instance, underneath. I just literally go in with a paint um, and usually build up from dark colours to light colours. It's a sort of classic way of painting and um, uh, something that um, I guess was kind of a, a, a standard technique for these sort of old masters, if you like. I mean, you know, we'd gone into art history at an art college and um, you know that this was something i was really interested in and uh it wasn't that I, it wasn't like a pretentious attempt to kind of become a master but it was a just a way of a way of working which seemed to make sense you just build up and you just you know to the point where you get the the, the highlights of the last things that you add and um you know there's always this ongoing joke at college that some people just would rush their work just so they get to the point where they can add, add a tiny little white dot in the eyes you know to do a little bit of shine everybody seemed to really love that little moment um uh but uh i found that um uh, very occasionally there would be tiny tiny little white areas of paper showing through and you know it was just 
virtually invisible to me, but um, a couple of clients had noted that um, there were some white bits showing and um, they kind of felt they'd been shortchanged slightly. Uh, so I just thought we'll solve that. So I just started doing washes uh, so that literally there'd be no white paper showing through. And that's the reason why I started um, developing the wash technique uh, at the beginning of each job. But also it, it provides a good texture to work over in, in terms of um, sometimes you can go with the, uh, uh, the, the sort of the flow of the paint that's there and once it's dried it actually kind of suggests um, uh, sort of patterns to you. Uh, uh, I guess the other thing is it, it kind of um, establishes the the, the, the basic colour theme of any piece of work and you know as I, when I get to that wash stage you know I have an idea in my mind um, which way it should go and, uh, um, and once I put that, that initial wash down that really pretty much determines how the rest of the um, colours will actually uh, look and yet sometimes it's by working against the colours so for instance if you had a, a largely um, green palette you could then work reds and oranges perhaps over the top of that which would contrast uh, and add, add sort of you know, visual interest. That's sort of, I'm learning lots of stuff here. It's becoming an art class, but that's uh, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, really good. competition, will you? What's it? No, I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I mean, so I like the white bit in the, the eyes because you see that on the YouTube videos when they're doing, you know, like when you see on thing when people are doing the stuff, they always put the white in the eyes. Well, uh, it's interesting because uh, um, uh, I, 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 I studied. Um, um tibetan art um over a period of courses and um it's just one of those things when you build up a, um uh, some of these uh, amazing quite complex images um mostly um uh, 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 it's kind of you know images of various deities that kind of you know, sort of wrathful deities or kind of benign um deities uh, the last thing um, you do on, on a project is actually add um, the eyes, and um, and that that then uh, brings the actual enables uh, a life to that particular date and empowers the um, the artwork. Uh, so it's, yeah, the eyes are very very important, and um, uh, I mean I don't think um, they they do a little white dot in the eyes exactly <laughs> that right. seems to be something that we, we all enjoy more so over here but um uh but yeah the, the yeah trying to uh understand where the focus on an illustration will be and actually making sure those are the bits which you really concentrate on because um you know faces are so important and and the way they communicate and express we're talking, we're, as we've been talking and about eyes that one actually doesn't one of the things that doesn't have eyes i mean i suppose it is i yeah i do a lot of skulls they never have eyes yeah yeah so, <laughs> so then what pops to worry about Fred, freddie's sort of got eyes that what i say i just noticed on the back here you've got some interesting you've got dacre stoker saying it's a feast on the blood of the past and nourished in you you've got richard stanley uh, a danger to bourgeois society and then you've got clive barker saying beautiful and transformative so there's some big names there that are that are saying yeah, they, nice they seem to be across from the previous publication i don't know whether um that was just an oversight <laughs> you know you think they're talking about your previous work if they, maybe they saw it now they well, might I mean, so those, were close, those were uh two of those were quotes from the very first book actually um which was you know the um what was called drawing blood the uh supposed luxury item um uh, uh, the, the dacre stoke one was definitely written for the previous book uh hung drawn okay. executed um but we did you know there were 
um, some new quotes from, from the, the new contributors, which uh, I did identify, and I just think that uh, perhaps, you know, um, for whatever reason, <laughs> they can't even get added in. But no, uh, yeah. they're good names anyway, and it shows that people like you. Were. Oh, yeah, what's, yeah. Your view, what's your view of uh, digital using digital? I notice a lot of people use their tablets now and do all their artwork there. Is that something you'd ever consider, or it's just not not something that's your bag? There's, there are some digital aspects in as much that everything everything I paint gets scanned in and delivered digitally anyway. That's it exists as a digital file as far as a client's concerned, and that's all they get. Um, and I keep the artwork, uh, but uh, uh, I, I have been playing around with a technique which I've used on quite a few things now, which is more line work. Uh, which is then scanned in and then uh, coloured in Photoshop and you know, some textures added over the top. And um, it's what I've been doing for the last couple of years uh, with the uh, Fright Fest um, artwork, for instance, their poster, which uh, means it just I, I can do sections of illustrations, you know, I can have moving around and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it can be a portrait format poster quad uh web banner um yeah. visual parts can be you know used on um badges or, or the, the the festival passes uh, so yeah it, it can be um versatile and um it's been really good for that and uh so that has a digital aspect but it's still um hand drawn and um a lot of line work still it's like maybe just black paint on white paper uh so there is still the handmade aspect I mean, I, I know you know a number of digital artists, and um, the work's fantastic. And uh, uh, you know, it's 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 you know, it's not a, a threat to what I do, and um, it's just a different way of working, I guess. I mean, I, I prefer to use paint because um, it's what I've always used, and uh, I feel comfortable using it. And uh, I, I I like the quality of um, you know th making a bit of a mess, I guess, though, and uh, um, and also the sort of happy accidents that happen when you're working, you know, something, you know, perhaps the brush isn't delivering what you quite want it to. I mean, brushes, you know, wear down quite quickly, but it, 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 that kind of process in that stage where they're, they're kind of not as they were and they're not pristine, but they're actually almost becoming useless. Um, sometimes the marks you get out of them uh, can be quite unexpected and actually useful in building up uh, different textures. But the, the paint I use, it's always been the same paint. It's um. You know, it's a uh, uh, designer's gouache. It's a kind of water-based paint. It's very versatile. It, you, know, you can use it as washes uh, and, um, you know, build up quite thick, um, opaque layers as well. Uh, and it dries very fast. And uh, for me, it's just, it's the perfect paint to use. And the, uh, the colors, you know, you as long as you um, know what you're doing, you, you can still get quite good bright colors out of them. And, you know, the, the, the um, in less able hands, you know, it's, it's quite easy. And like any paint, really, you, you can, you can uh, quickly go to sort of mud colours uh, and greys without um, intending to. But um, you know what you're doing. You know, you, you get some quite intense colours. Mm, and they're out, they are really quite intense. And just before we we, ha uh, we uh, let you go, because I know you're, you're doing work today. And uh, what, what what are you? Uh, what's what's coming up for you now that the book's published? You've had your wonderful book launch at the weekend. What's next for uh, Grant Humphreys? Well, you know, since the book was published, I mean, I think the, all the files were delivered at the beginning of the year. So that, there, there's obviously new work since then. So uh, one, one you know, hopes that um, 
there'll be a further volume as well down the line as well. Uh, but uh, you know, for instance, today I'm finishing off uh, what will be the um, poster for the Weekend of the Dead George Romero Festival um, coming up uh, beginning of November. So that needs to go off to the printer this week at some point. So uh, then I'll be working on a straight onto a Blu-ray cover for um, um, a company called uh, Film Treasures. Then uh, I haven't. I've got a list of. Um, you've got lots of you've got lots of work going on. It seems you're not. Gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, yeah. there's plenty ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've already said that. Um, you know, I'm completely stacked up until next February. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be taking on work, which will be you know will be uh, uh, for after that period. But uh, you know, right now I, I'm, I'm you know I, I mean that's only about four months away anyway. So um. No, that's not long at all. What are you doing for Halloween? It's it's only a couple of weeks to Halloween now. What is uh, what's your Halloween going to look like? Well, you know, I've always said that uh, every day is Halloween to me. The only day I don't celebrate Halloween is on Halloween. Really. That's true. So I'm going to go and see Fabio Fritzi at the Union Chapel. Uh, you know, I love his music, and um, we've worked together on a couple of projects, and um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm going to see Kid Congo, uh, Kid Congo Powers, um, the night before. He's playing up in. Um, Hackney. Uh, Kid Congo, if you don't know him, was a um, uh, very, very talented guitarist who, who was uh, a, a backbone for both the Cramps and the Gun Club, two of my favourite bands, who really influenced the work I did in the 1980s in particular, but I still uh, um, refer to their music now for uh, occasional inspiration as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, other than that, I'll yeah, literally the week after I'll be up in Manchester for the weekend of the Dead Festival, and then of course at the end of November is um, Dark Fest, which is the Dark Side Magazine um, weekend coming up at the Genesis Cinema in East End, uh, in in, uh, in Ripper territory, of course. So, and also it's a, an area which um, is referenced in um, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula as well, um, just off Brick Lane. Uh, um, is a street where Dracula uh, is, is referenced as um, storing six of the coffins, which he, he rings London with um, as a, a sort of a, yeah, wherever he's in London, he, he can go somewhere and um, find a coffin. Basically, yeah, six of them. As he's, storage, as he's got a storage unit off Brick Lane, basically. Yes, yeah, one of those yellow, um, yellow storage yeah. units. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, thank you very much, Graham. It's wonderful. I'm really enjoying this book. Uh, I look forward to it again. Hopefully, I'll catch up with you with some of these events that are going on over the next couple of weeks and months. And and, I've, got uh, of, I've got to think of a witty title for the next volume. You do. So what, 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 you, you've got Nightmare on, Nightmare on One Street. You had on one drawn one sheet, one sheet, one sheet. Of course, it is. And then you've got to so say you've got uh, that's probably going to be harder doing that than the paintings I'm imagining. Yeah. Well, there was, there was, it was going to be called um, uh, a, a coffin table book, um, but um, that was stolen by um, Butch Patrick, who played uh, obviously Eddie Munster. Eddie, Eddie his, Munster his book. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure that that is a good one. <laughs> All right. Anyway, you have a great one, Graham. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Good to see you. See you. Bye bye. Nice bye. Chat.